Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with my amazing co-host, Tavis, here. Yeehaw! And we, this week, we're going to stir the pot a little bit. We're going to talk about carbon capture and the race against climate change. As always, it's going to cover the content in this week's Periodical. Posted it this past Wednesday, December the 9th. So make sure you head over to our website and check that out. But, Tavis, take it away. This year will long be remembered as extremely challenging, due largely to the emergence and spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. The human toll has been awful, but the economic impact may take decades to overcome. As governments implement economic stimulus packages to lift nations out of recession and get people back to work, there arises a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity. This is to change the course and rebuild the global economy in a climate-friendly and environmentally sustainable manner. As the world continues down the path of energy transition, there arises an opportunity to deliver new, clean energy and industry jobs with potential to sustain economies well into the future. Countless companies in both the private and public sectors, in addition to a growing number of countries, have committed to net-zero emissions in the next few decades. Not only have many of these moves been welcomed, but they are claimed to be necessary as the future of this planet depends on actions taken today. It has been clear that for some time, achieving net zero emissions by mid-century and containing temperature increases to well below 2 degrees Celsius will require the rapid deployment of all available abatement technologies. This will include the early retirement of some emission-intensive facilities and also retrofitting others with the technology like Carbon Capture and Storage, or CCS. In the years to come, CCS will be a key pillar in the race against climate change as it has the flexibility to remove emissions from industries very difficult to decarbonize. Many of the industries manufacture products that will continue to be essential to daily life, and implementing CCS perfectly aligns itself with global goals achieving net zero emissions. The Earth emerged from the last ice age with atmospheric carbon dioxide levels of approximately 280 parts per million by volume. By 2019, that level jumped all the way up to 409.8. That means carbon dioxide levels today are higher than at any point in the past 800,000 years. It is often linked to climate change, but what is the significance of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? Carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, which means it is a gas that absorbs and radiates heat. Thanks to the giant fireball millions of miles away, the Earth's land and ocean surfaces continuously radiate thermal infrared energy, or heat. But unlike oxygen or nitrogen that make up most of the atmosphere, greenhouse gases absorb that heat and release it gradually over time, much like the bricks in a fireplace after the fire goes out. Without this natural greenhouse effect, Earth's average annual temperature would be below freezing instead of close to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. The problem is, increases in greenhouse gases have tipped the Earth's climate out of balance, trapping additional heat and raising Earth's average annual temperature. Carbon dioxide is the most important of Earth's greenhouse gases as it absorbs less heat per molecule than greenhouse gases like methane or nitrous oxide. However, it is far more abundant and it stays in the atmosphere much longer. Because of this fact, increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide are responsible for about two-thirds of the total energy imbalance that's causing Earth's temperature to rise. Methane and nitrous oxide have increased their contributions to the heating imbalance, as well as annual greenhouse gas index slightly over the past 40 years. But both are shadowed by the increase from carbon dioxide. If the planet is to avoid the economic and human consequences of severe climate change, the emissions of CO2 must be cut significantly. To do this, 
Actions must be taken to curb CO2 emissions, improve energy efficiency, substitute high carbon emitting fuels with lower carbon fuels, and develop and adopt alternatives to fossil fuels. As long as fossil fuels continue to provide most of the world's total energy, an argument can be made to capture and sequester CO2. So this is really where we're trying to focus on our discussion today. You know, we are a very energy intensive society. We need energy. We need fossil fuels. They're not going away. So a possible answer is this new, well, it's not very new as we'll get into discussing here today, but it's this CCS technology. It's capturing this extra carbon dioxide and making sure we're not bringing it into the atmosphere. And like you said, fossil fuels still going to use them, but instead of burning coal, we can burn maybe cleaner natural gas in that transition. And that allows less of that carbon dioxide emitted that we have to capture later. Yeah, exactly. And we, we've we even talked about decreasing those other greenhouse gases like methane. And it's, it's a, let's look at down in Texas, you know, instead of just flaring methane, we're actually going to burn it. Yes, mm -hmm. that is going to add to additional CO2 in the atmosphere. But since methane is so much higher of that heating index than CO2, it's actually going to be a lot better for us to burn that methane as opposed to just let it go to the atmosphere. Carbon capture and storage is the process of, well, capturing carbon dioxide formed during power generation or industrial processes, and then storing it in subsurface reservoirs so it's not emitted to the atmosphere. As a result, CCS technologies have significant potential to reduce CO2 emissions within the global energy system, and they have a vital and growing role to play in decarbonization around the world. Deploying CCS at power plants or industrial facilities generally entails three major steps, those being capture, transportation, and then storage. During the capturing process, several different technologies can be used to gather CO2 at the facility emitting the pollutants into the atmosphere. Post-combustion carbon capture, which is the primary method used in existing power plants, separates CO2 from the exhaust of a combustion process. Pre-combustion carbon capture, which is largely used in industrial processes, involves gasifying fuel and separating out the CO2. There are commercially available pre-combustion capture technologies used by industrial facilities. However, for power plants, pre-combustion capture is still in early stages. This process may be less costly than other options, but it can only be built into new facilities. To retrofit an existing facility for pre-combustion capture would be exorbitantly costly. Lastly, there are oxy-fuel combustion systems where fuel is burned in a nearly pure oxygen environment rather than regular air, resulting in a more concentrated stream of CO2 emissions, which is much easier to capture. Currently, facilities with CCS can capture 90 to 100% of the CO2 produced, and after capture, it is compressed into a fluid. From there, it can be transported to appropriate storage sites, usually by pipeline, ships, and actually occasionally trains or other vehicles. Finally, the CO2 is injected into underground geologic formations where it is stored in the long term rather than being released into the atmosphere, or it can be used as a dry mechanism for enhanced oil recovery. Storage sites used for CO2 include former oil and gas reservoirs, deep saline formations, and coal beds. Carbon dioxide capture technology has been used since the late 1920s for separating CO2, sometimes found in natural gas reservoirs, from the saleable methane gas. The true idea of CCS capturing CO2 and preventing it from being released into the atmosphere was first suggested in 1977 using existing technology in new ways. In the 70s, CO2 captured from natural gas processing facility in Texas was piped to a nearby oil field and injected to boost oil recovery. This process, known as enhanced oil recovery, has proven to be very successful. 
millions of tons of CO2, both from natural accumulations of CO2 in underground rocks and captured from industrial facilities, are now piped to and injected into oil fields across the nation every year. Due to the success of the process in the oil field and its environmental benefits, since 1997, the Department of Energy's Office of Fossil Fuel Energy's Carbon Storage Program has significantly advanced the carbon capture and storage knowledge base through a diverse portfolio of applied research projects. In the United States, multiple enacted policies aid and encourage the use of CCS technology. National tax credits for carbon storage are created through Section 45Q of the International Revenue Code. Adding to these national tax benefits, several tax credits and other crediting mechanisms exist at the state level in states like California, Texas, Louisiana, Montana, and even North Dakota. As a result, such tax credits have incentivized the use of CCS in industries far and wide. Gas processing facilities, which extract natural gas from underground reservoirs, often have to clean the CO2 from the natural gas in order to be able to sell it. These facilities, therefore, have to strip the CO2 before they even have a usable commodity, and the carbon credits from the sale of CO2 are an added bonus. Power plants and steel mills that burn fossil fuels don't have to capture the CO2 in order to produce electricity or goods, and the capture process actually costs them significantly more. Because of this, capturing CO2 from these facilities is purely done for emissions reduction reasons. EOR projects have a use for the CO2 that is captured in the earlier processes, which actually gives CO2 a value in monetary terms. The CO2 is often extracted from the reservoir along with the oil, but as it was very expensive to purchase, they will separate it again and use it to produce even more oil. Eventually, when all the oil has been produced, the CO2 can actually be stored in the depleted oil reservoir, permanently preventing that CO2 from being released into the atmosphere and contributing to the greenhouse gas effect. I want to dance back to what section 45Q of the International Revenue Code. Uh, in one of my classes that we had to take, our professor gave us a, a thought experiment, right? He made us all represent different countries. He would be like, uh, you're China. You emit this much carbon dioxide. You are a tiny country in the middle of nowhere. You emit this much. And we had to meet together and kind of do the Paris Climate Agreement and agree how much credits everyone was uh, allowed to have. And we, we couldn't come to an agreement. <laughs> that That's the way it was intended to end. It ended like that. We fought for a full 90 minutes and consulting and talking and it was it was terrible I well mean, <laughs> well kind of the nice thing about that 45q is it actually it it provides incentive for you to capture the co2 and and store it instead of just oh you know we can admit as much as we want but there is now monetary value with using this ccs technology instead of just producing as much as you want if you capture it if you inject it it any of those three stages you know the capture the transmission and the storage they all have tax benefits if you are able to capture more CO2 and prevent it from going in the atmosphere. So kind of like you said, it was hard for <laughs> places to choose how much they want to do. But, you know, if you can find a nice little balance, you know, hey, if we utilize this technology where it's not going to cost us maybe so much money and there's additional tax credits, that's the whole point of this 45Q. Mm -hmm. And money is a fantastic incentive. The story of carbon capture, utilization and storage begins with oil and gas. Oil companies pioneered a process decades ago to isolate CO2 from plumes of mixed gases. Separately, in an effort to squeeze out more oil out of the ground, the industry began injecting CO2 into porous subsurface rock. While the process helped mobilize more oil in the reservoir, the most significant policy support for the technology is the tax credit known as 45Q for capturing emissions. 
The emissions in almost all cases are then used to increase oil production. While there are countless oil companies capturing carbon dioxide, the industry has nearly monopolized the transportation and storage portion of the process where most of the carbon credits are applied. So different CO2 uses lead to different levels of emissions reductions, depending on whether you're permanently storing the CO2 in the ground or if you're using it to displace more oil out of the ground. So one of the primary uses, as we've said, of this CO2 is for enhanced oil recovery, which basically is when you use CO2 and water to drive more oil up the well, which is going to improve your oil recovery, and it's going to sequester the CO2 underground. Since only some of the carbon dioxide is left in the ground, the rest will actually be produced and must be reprocessed to be used again. Selling CO2 for enhanced oil recovery or other uses can provide actually nice revenue streams and incentivize more implementation of the CCS technology. In the year 2000, several major oil and gas companies, including Shell and ConocoPhillips, formed the Carbon Capture Project, whose goal is to help, quote, develop next-generation technologies that will reduce the cost of CCS and make CCS a practical and cost-effective option for reducing or eliminating CO2 emissions resulting from the use of fossil fuels, end quote. The initiative made CCS mainstream and a viable option to remove harmful greenhouse gases from being emitted into the atmosphere. Carbon Capture Coalition, which is a 2018 rebranding and expansion of the National Enhanced Oil Recovery Initiative, further popularized CCS and allowed CCS for EOR to represent the only carbon capture technology that exists at scale. While enhanced oil recovery does manage to sequester most of the injected CO2 permanently, Carbon dioxide harvested from during the capture phase represents only 15% of what the industry currently uses. The rest comes from natural gas. That being said, why not have the captured CO2 provide additional benefits other than removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere? Once the CO2 is removed, if it is going to be put into the ground, it might as well help produce a resource the world would continue to need in the foreseeable future as energy demand increases on an annual basis. So there's a lot of people out there that are pretty pissed that CCS is used for the most part for EOR. They think that, you know, no, we, we only can use the CO2 to pump it in the ground and store it there. But the argument here is if we're going to be pumping it into the ground, why not have a, a more beneficial use for this? If we're going to be pumping it into the ground, why not help develop more of an energy source that we use every single day. That's the argument here. And, and it, I, I, granted, I'm an oil and gas guy. <laughs> a little bit of bias. I have a little bit of bias, but I totally agree with this. Why not, if we're going to be pumping it in the ground, why not use it for more beneficial uses than just, you know, pumping it into a depleted oil reservoir for it to just stay there forever. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, any of the CO2 that is reproduced, they just put right back into the ground. They after do. Scrubbing it out. Anyways, exactly. Right. In all cases where fossil fuels are the source of energy, CO2 is inevitably produced. If policy and incentives are to prevent this CO2 from reaching the atmosphere, CCS will absolutely be essential. Back in 2019, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released a special report on the impacts of global warming above 1.5 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels, and they basically related global greenhouse gas emission pathways in the context of strengthening the global response on the threat of climate change on sustainable development. The report shows that recent trends in emissions deviate from a track consistent with limiting global warming well below 2 degrees Celsius, without increased and very urgent mitigation ambition in the coming years, leading to a sharp decline in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, 
global warming will surpass 1.5 degrees Celsius in the following decades, which is, well, going to lead to irreversible loss of the most fragile ecosystems and a crisis after crisis for the most vulnerable people and societies. So what does this mean for CCS? According to the Global CCS Institute's 2019 status report, 40 million metric tons of CO2 from plants currently in operation are captured and stored each year. For context, the United States alone emitted over 5 billion metric tons of CO2 in 2018. This must increase 100-fold by 2050 to meet the scenarios laid out by the IPCC special report as somewhere between 350 and 1,200 gigatons of CO2 will need to be captured and stored this century. Globally, there are 51 large-scale CCS facilities in operation or under construction, including power plants capturing at least 800,000 metric tons of CO2 annually and other industrial facilities capturing at least 400,000 metric tons of CO2 annually. In the United States alone, there are 10 large-scale operational facilities. Luckily, CCS is again growing this year, and the sustained lift and activity around CCS and the increased investment in new facilities is exciting and encouraging. But there is much more work to do. In every part of the CCS value chain, substantial progress is being made. New, more efficient, and lower-cost capture technologies across a range of applications are changing the outlook for one of the most significant cost components of the CCS value chain. All right, Tavis, so time for some conspiracy theories. So there's an individual out there by the name of Brian Coates, who's actually a world-renowned CO2 professional. He's spent his whole career diving into what CO2 means for the earth, the planet, and everything. So his argument is we actually need more CO2, and CCS is actually leading more to global warming. The reason being plants consume CO2. They produce oxygen. They produce food for us. The more CO2 we have in the atmosphere, the more plants we have. The more plants we have, the more covering of the Earth's surface they have, and it's actually going to lead to a reduction in Earth's temperature. So, As the plants absorb that, what, heat to grow and reproduce? Absolutely. So it's, it's a very interesting, very interesting, very compelling argument, but at the same time, it does seem like there's also this overwhelming evidence that CO2 is leading to an increased amount of temperature as it's a greenhouse gas, as it radiates heat during the nighttime when there's you know no sunshine out, it's creating this effect that keeps the world at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, I wouldn't really want to have to walk outside every day at 30 <laughs> degrees even in the summertime. Oh, so, no. it, it, again, it kind of like I said, conspiracy theory alert here. Uh, a little bit, but it's definitely something I'm going to look into more. I want to understand this a little bit, and I hope those listening try to get learned up on it as well. Carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas that holds a huge hand in global warming, and technology is available to be utilized that can combat climate change. This is the opportunity the global pandemic and CCS have provided. With the world desiring to move toward a clean energy future, national governments worldwide implementing economic stimulus packages to lift their nations out of recession, CCS is a unique opportunity to regrow the global economy in a climate-friendly and environmentally sustainable manner. For CCS to make the maximum contribution to emissions reductions, the pace of development and deployment need to be increased substantially to get projects up and running in time to meet the global targets. CCS has the potential to make a big difference to greenhouse gas emissions, but action needs to be taken swiftly to allow the impact to take effect before temperatures rise and the cost of tackling climate change increases. Furthermore, CCS will allow for sustained benefits of using hydrocarbons to generate energy as a focus shifts on a carbon-constrained world. 
This technology can be a key and cost-effective option for reducing carbon dioxide emissions from industrial applications where deep emission reductions can only be achieved through CCS. The road ahead is definitely challenging, but if policies are set to meet standards mitigating climate change, CCS is an additional tool to make significant and necessary contributions towards achieving net zero emissions around mid-century. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us. We hope you learned something. Hell, did you know that carbon capture technology was started by the oil and gas industry? Tell that one to your friends. If there's anything else you'd like to hear from us, go to the website, leave comments in the reviews, contact us directly at podcast.verpetro.com, and we'd love to cover what you want to hear about. But that's all we've got for the week, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Have a good week. 